Good morning. It's so good to see you. Welcome to Westmead Baptist Church and the opportunity that we have together to uh, bless and worship and magnify the Lord. I want to invite you, uh, if you are able and can, to stand. And we'll begin our service this morning by reading responsively God's Word, Psalm 103. Verses 1 through 19, I will read the odd-numbered verses, and together we will read the even-numbered verses. This is the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, he is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant. And remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his sovereignty rules over all. This is the word of the Lord.
morning, church family. Welcome home. It's good to see y'all today. Did y'all get to see everybody? Look around. There's people around you that want to know that you're here. So wave at somebody this morning. Look at somebody, trying to catch their eye. There you go. I love it. Uh, church, I'll be honest with you, and if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not good at subtle. So uh, if I made a mistake, I, I can't just like subtly move past it. So I totally forgot to put this thing on this morning. Uh, so I'm going to be putting that on as we get started, if that's okay with you guys. It's just so good to see y'all. Y'all are coming in, and I just want to get to like talk to you or say hey to you and only get to, I only get like, I think I got these two sections. So there's like all of y'all, just, you run out of time so quick, don't you? So anyway, now we're up and running. Uh, I love our sound guys. They do everything they can to make me sound better than I actually am. Uh, now if they could only figure out how to do the rest of it, but that's all right. I appreciate everything you guys do up there. Thank you guys. This morning, church family, uh, we're going to be talking about something that's a little, uh, difficult at times, I suppose. Um, but even in difficult things, um, God's word still speaks truth. Isn't that true of the world today? Even in the difficult things that we find ourselves in, we can still look to God's word and it still speaks truth and not just truth, but the truth that we need for today. So this morning, church, I want us to talk about change. I want us to talk about change. Now, before um, everybody builds that wall and says, well, what's he about to change? I'm fixing to propose anything. We're not going to shift into a business meeting. Um, I just want us to talk about change. Uh, There's two types of change when you think about it. The first type of change uh, is the change that happens and you don't have any say-so in it. It's the change that that comes forth regardless of of what we have done or regardless of what we do. It's a change that we cannot control. Let me see if I can think of an example. We'll just use the pandemic. Uh, we'll use the pandemic as an example of change that we cannot control. I don't know if you're aware of this, but since this idea of coronavirus or COVID-19 has sprung up, the world has changed. Yes, it has. Absolutely. I just didn't know if y'all agreed with me or not. It's a different world. It's a different world out there. And, and, and because of these things, it has caused more change. Now, let me be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of change. You know, I like the way... I like to do things, I like my schedule, I like my routine. I was talking to a good friend of mine this week and we were like, man, this whole thing has eliminated routines and it's really thrown us off, you know what I mean? I like the things I like, but at the end of the day, when change happens that we can't avoid or we can't control, it causes us to respond in one of two ways. We can either change as well or we can choose not to change. Church, in the context of where we are, had we decided, hey, the world is changing, but we're not going to change. Hmm. We'd be in a tight spot, wouldn't we? If we had decided, well, we're not going to change, we're going to wait for everything to change back, and then we'll just continue on with our schedule. We wouldn't be meeting here this morning, would we? We, we Actually, we wouldn't be meeting at all. And it's not just the, the privilege of meeting together. It, we wouldn't have been able to stay connected during this time because we wouldn't have enacted a type of online worship service. You know what? If you keep, those dominoes keep falling, we wouldn't have been able to stay connected through a, a number of channels, through Zoom or, or FaceTime or anything else. We would have been in a tight financial spot because we wouldn't have leaned on things like online giving. Had we chosen, hey, the world is changing and we choose not to change, we would be in quite a pickle right now, wouldn't we? And even even more so, that's just the beginning of it. I can't imagine if we had chosen, you know what, we're not going to, we don't like change. Humanity doesn't like change. And it's not because of a certain age. It's not because of a certain demographic. We just don't like change. Why? Because we like to do things a certain way because it makes us comfortable. It makes it easier to predict what's happening next. And when we predict things, we have a sense of being in control. So we kind of don't like change. But when change is forced upon us, we can either or not change. 
in our current climate, had we chosen not to change, we would be in a radically different place. Uh, Ben, we were talking about this idea this week. Ben, Ben said something. He said, you know, it wasn't like we were sitting around in the middle of March thinking, hey, I have an idea. Let's cancel Sunday school and small groups. Let's cancel all Wednesday activities. You know what? Let's just prevent people from being able to all worship together in one room and divide it up into three services. That'd be a great idea. He was obviously being sarcastic. But it's just funny because we wouldn't have been able to predict what's going on and it wouldn't have happened had we not been willing to change. Westmead, I want to applaud you. I want to say thank you to to my church family uh, that I get to be a part of for your willingness to recognize what's going on and being adaptable to the change that was needed in order for us to continue to do what God has called us to do. I applaud you. You guys have been amazing and as we've kind of shifted gears and been trying to figure this out as we go man our church family's been on board and said hey let's do it we we don't know what it's like we've we've never done it that way before but we're going to give it a try i'll never forget being a young man and my pastor that that uh that i had growing up i'll never forget him saying in a sermon one day he said the seven last words of a church are we've never done it this way before or that way before but man not Westmead. That's not our last words. That's kind of the launching point into what we believe God is leading us into. So there's a change that we can't control and we can either respond by changing or not changing. But this morning, church, this idea of changing, when we start talking about the other change, the change that we can control, the change that we can play a factor in. See, that's the dilemma that we're, that we're in today. This is where we are. And this is why I want us to spend some time talking about it today. See, today, I believe that God has called Westmead Baptist Church to continue moving forward to the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is that God has called and placed Westmead here for us to communicate the gospel, for us to reach this community with the gospel, for us to disciple those who are within this church so that we can be more effective in our witness of showing and proclaiming the love of Jesus outside these walls. And by the way, church, that's, that's where it goes. It has to happen outside these walls. Y'all, y'all know this. We all know this. But the dilemma we face when it comes to change is this. We love, before I make this statement, if you agree, it's okay to say amen, or I agree, or yes, we do. You don't have to say anything out loud. I'm just letting you know. Here comes an opportunity if you would like to voice something out loud. We love Jesus. But we resist change. Do do y'all hear that? Church, this morning, we're going to look in God's word in just a minute. But I I submit to you that we cannot be a people who embrace Jesus and push back against change at the same time. And I want us to look at this this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And this morning, we're just going to camp out on on one verse. We're going to see the context a little bit. But we need to extract the truth from what God has given us in this passage in Romans chapter 12. I just want you to get to Romans 12 and hang out there. We'll navigate through it in a minute. But, but I want us to talk about this concept of change. Like I said, there's the change where we cannot control that's forced upon us. And then there's the change that we can choose. I want you to understand that in our relationship with the Father, the change that he is calling us to make in our own lives in order that we look more like Christ is change that he wants us to choose to embrace. Nothing, no change in our life will ever happen because God is forcing it upon us. Think about your salvation. Your salvation that you profess in Jesus, uh, if you proclaim salvation in Christ, came about in you choosing and desiring forgiveness of sin to be uh, reestablished, to be made new in the image of Christ through the blood of Jesus. This was not something forced upon you. It was an invitation that you accepted. And as we grow in our relationship with God, God's not going to force you into that. He desires it, he expects it, but he's not going to force it upon you. 
So in Romans chapter 12, we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in verse 2. But before we get to verse 2, I want to show you that in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, look what he says here, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He states here very clearly, is before he goes into what he talks about in verse 2, and by the way, as Paul was writing, he wasn't writing his verse 2, he was just writing. But he talks about that in verse 1. He says, look, this is your spiritual act of worship to offer your bodies. Some of your translations may say to submit your bodies to God. It's the idea that he's fixing to lead us into talking about changes, but he's saying, hey, guys, as we call ourselves the church because of Jesus, before we get to this idea that it's time for us to begin the process of being changed into the image of God, we need to offer our bodies. Why? Because God's not going to force us to. God is inviting us to so that we lay down our lives, so that we lay down everything we are at the foot, at the altar of God and say, God, this is me. We literally place ourselves at his feet and say, God, this is me and I'm asking you to do things that I can't. But God's not going to force you. He's not going to make you. Which is why Paul invites us to offer, to desire, to say, I want you to do this with me, God, so that I may be worshipful to your name. Now, I'm not being ugly, but I've been in this place before, so I speak from experience. There may be somebody here this morning that is thinking, hey, I get it. Change. Change so that Christ can use us. But, but I'm doing pretty good. I really don't need to change. I'm doing A-OK. I'm right where I need to be. And to you, and I used to be in that mindset multiple times in places in my life, and I'm not bragging about that. I'm shamefully saying that. I just invite you to read verse 3 in your own time if we think we don't need to be changed by God. But, so I want us to understand as we go into verse 2 that the idea here is for us to choose and desire for God to do a work in our life. Now let's look at verse 2. Look what it says here. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and perfect will. This morning, church, God is inviting us into his presence so that he can change us. And we can either continue and look and study God's word this morning with the idea of, I don't like change. Or we can recognize, for the sake of Christ, I need to change. And this morning I want to look at three unique ways that God desires to change us when we're in fellowship with him. By the way, the reason we're talking about this is because me personally, I don't look like Christ. I do my best, but I'm not there yet. And, and, and even though I know many of you in this room, there is not a single person in my life that I can point to them and say, oh yeah, they're totally there. We all need to look like Christ. We all need to be conformed to the image of Christ that's been implanted on our hearts because of our salvation. So if you're saved this morning, if you proclaim Jesus as Lord, then this word is kind of flying in our faces today. And putting us in a place that we're either going to choose change that God enacts and enables or we're going to not. But it goes back to our question. Can we truly say, I love and desire and pursue Jesus, but I refuse change? Look at this, what it says. First thing I want us to see that God desires change in our lives is that when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, when we lay down our lives before God and say, God, I desire you to do the work in my life, the first thing we see is that we are changed morally. We are changed morally. Look at what it says here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I really don't have to preach this, but I'm going to state it anyway. You know, we're living in a pretty messed up world. This world is messed up because it is consumed in darkness. This world is fallen, church. And I'm not sitting here to throw stones. I'm a part of it. 
We are living in a dark, dark world. And if we are going to legitimately pursue and live Jesus the way we were created and called to in the name of Jesus, then we have to recognize that in a light, in a dark world, we reflect the light of Christ in it. When it says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, what it's saying is that our lives should look radically different than the world. And what I mean by that is it doesn't say don't conform to the pattern of this world, um, but just kind of blend in. It doesn't say that. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but don't do anything that will bring attention. It doesn't say this. The idea that the world is covered in darkness and Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and that we who are in Christ reflect the light of the world. Y'all understand that is polar opposites of where we are. That a dark world and the light of Christ. Do y'all know the difference between light and dark? Yes, we all do. Why? Because they're so far apart, different, that is so easily noticeable when there's light and when there's dark. This is a dark world consumed with sin and the evils that come with it so that we who are in Christ we are changed morally because of the the work of God in our lives and it is like a light shining in the darkness it is the light shining in the darkness when we live so that Christ can live in us we look around this world and so many people are affected by what happens around them We've seen that over the last several weeks with the things and the hot button topics that are up. We see a world changing. We see a world adapting. We see a world uh, maneuvering to conform with what's going on. We've seen a lot of Christians. We've seen several places that call themselves the church just try to mold themselves to go along with the flow of what's going on around them. Church, we are not molded by what's happening around us. We are transformed by what has happened within us. And this is the light of the world that this world has got to see in their dark and present state. When we lay down our lives and desire God to change and transform us, it begins by us being changed morally so that the world sees us and says there's something different about them. And it's not for the sake for them to look and be like, there's something different about Justin. He's ugly enough, they know there's something different about Justin, okay? What they need to see is there's something different about him that makes me want to know what it is. And that is Jesus, church. And if we can evaluate our own lives, and if there is at least one person in our life that doesn't know the Jesus in us, then guess what? We need to change so that they can see Jesus in us. We need to, uh, we need to shift or alter something in our lives so that when we're around them, when they see us, when they see evidence of our lives, they think, I need to know what's different about them because they see glimpses of Jesus. Church, if they've never met him, they don't know what it is unless we tell them. So if we're going to be changed, we understand that it talks about here that we're to be changed morally. We don't blend in with this world. Jesus addresses this in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Pause button right there. Did y'all just hear the radical difference that Jesus himself proclaimed? He says this, I've told you these things, and this is the phrase, so that in me you may have peace. Okay? So here's a little review. In Christ, what do we have? Peace. Christ, peace. In this, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, Christ, you may have peace. Look at the next sentence. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. These are the, this is back-to-back statements from Jesus. In me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. Let me ask you a question, church. When Paul follows up in 12 and says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, he's pointing us to Christ. What's the difference between the world and Jesus peace and trouble let me ask you a question don't answer this out loud what would you like to build your life around peace or trouble because that's our options that's where we are today 
We can build our life around the trouble that is in this world, or we can build our life around the peace that is in Christ. But church, let me tell you, what you build your life around will be evident to all who see you. What you build your life around should change you to look exactly and reflect what you're building your life around. You want trouble? You want people to be like, oh, here comes trouble. Build your, build your life around the world and what's being offered in it. You want peace? Build your life around Christ. And every aspect that goes along with it will be evident as fruit in what Jesus is doing in you. But what does he say in the rest of that verse? In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Why? It's been overcome by Christ. Let's live in the victory that comes with Christ because we've been changed morally. Second thing I want us to see here is that we have changed mentally. We are changed mentally. When we desire for Christ to do a work in our lives, when we desire Christ to change and transform us, we are changed mentally. I want you to look at this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, the the Greek word here, and forgive me, I'm going to do my best. The Greek word here is metamorphomai. And this is where we get the word. Anyone take, want to take a guess? Metamorphosis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I didn't know we had a bunch of Greek speakers in here. Y'all are good. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. And that word is only used three other times in Scripture. Two of those times, it is used in the context of the Gospels where the two different Gospel writers referred to the Mount of Transfiguration. That this metamorphi took place. This transformation took place. But the third time... It's used also by Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and this is how Paul writes. He says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when Paul writes about this in Romans, when he writes about it in 2 Corinthians, it's the same idea, this this transformation, this metamorphi, this metamorphosis takes place because we're being transformed into the image of Christ. When we think about a metamorphosis, the most common idea, the most common illustration we can think of is a caterpillar. And we're familiar with the idea of a caterpillar who goes into its chrysalis state. You know, a caterpillar uh, is basically just like this really funky looking worm. You know that? You ever seen caterpillars? When I was a kid, I used to love catching caterpillars. Uh, and trying not to, you know, kill them because I wasn't very careful as a child. It, it, they were fun to play with, except the spiky ones. Those hurt. But y'all, y'all remember caterpillars. And when caterpillars enter into a chrysalis state, it's almost like literally it's a beautiful reflection of the gospel when we see them go into this, this, this chrysalis state. And then they emerge from it, almost like emerging from a tomb. And what do they look like? They look completely different than they did when they went in. It's unrecognizable when you put a butterfly next to a caterpillar and think, well, are these the same things? There's a transformation that takes place. We see transformation take place in Scripture. And Moses, in Exodus 34, he went up to the mountain of the Lord and he spent 40 days in the presence of the Lord. And when he came down, the Israelites said, Moses, please, Put a cover over your face because your, your face is radiating. It is, it is lighting up. It, it's too bright for us to see. And for a while, Moses literally wore like a little veil over his face because he had been changed because he had spent time with God. In Acts chapter 6, when Stephen stands and boldly proclaims the message of God, and when those men who came and apprehended Stephen because of the truth that they were proclaiming, it says in Scripture, it says, uh, I had to write it down, It says, they noted that his face was like that of an angel because he was communicating and so profoundly planted in this relationship with Jesus that his face was like, he's he's changed. Church, church, when we have a real encounter with Jesus, we are changed. And we should be unrecognizable as we were before, like a butterfly to a caterpillar. We should be something completely different. Why? Because we are made new in the image of Christ Jesus. The old is gone. All things are gone. Our old sinful life that permanently stained and, and, and directed and dictated our identity is no more. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. So that when we are transformed, when we are changed, we are changed mentally, but we are also changed I talked about morally. Now we're also changed mentally. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Guys, this is the gospel. When we uh, are awakened, when we are alerted to the idea of the desire that God has for us, when we recognize that we were created in the image of God, but yet we tainted that image because of our choice of sin, that there was no hope for us. But then when we recognize the story of the truth of Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world, who welcomes us into a full righteous relationship with God the Father through His blood. We're restored in a relationship with God that we never could attain on our own. We are made into something new and that happens because we are being transformed. That moment of awakening when we are changed into the image of Christ and every day thereafter we are daily, like what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we are daily being transformed into His image this happens because of change this happens when we choose to let God change us we're changed mentally we're changed morally and the third I want us to see this is we are changed motivationally John Phillips would be proud We're changed motivationally. Look what he says there, the second sentence in verse 2. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We're changed motivationally. Because when we are changed by God, when we're being transformed into the image of Christ, it changes our hearts. We suddenly become focused on what God wants, not what we want. That's what he writes about there. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Suddenly you see a person transformed whose desire is to not to know their will, not to know what they want to do, but they begin to to focus their life on understanding what God's will is for their life. It's a transformation. It's a change of heart. It's a focus on what God wants, not what we want. It's a focus on God to change us and transform us so that we can please the heart of a true and living and righteous Father who, for some reason that we fully can't understand or explain, but we embrace, loves us. He loves me. And church, make today. Loves you. And because God loves you, because God loves me, he's not content with who I choose to be, but yearns for me to follow and chase after him, that he changes me to become more today than yesterday of what he has for me. What does he have for me? Well, it changes us motivationally because it changes the outcome of our lives. It changes the results of what we deal with. It changes our perceptions and our attitudes and our actions. It changes what happens next. How do I know this? Because Paul writes about it here. Because when we chase after God, because we desire to know the heart of God so that we can use it to tra- for it to transform us into his image, then that's what we're going to know what God's will is. And, and you all know about God's will, right? Can I tell you all three things real quick about God's will? And I'm not even making these up. His will is good. His will is good. Works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called by his name. His will is good. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's probably what you would pick on your first or second guess. But it is good. And it's far better than we could ever come up with. His will is pleasing. Pleasing. This weekend I I had the privilege of spending time with my family uh, down at my in-law's house. And uh, there's one common trait that that we do really well as a family, and many of you share it. Y'all know what that is, right? Yeah, we eat really well. And when we eat really well, when we get done, you sit back and you just kind of rub your belly. I do. Maybe it's inappropriate. I don't know. I rub my belly. Oh, it was pleasing. (laughs) Because I desire no more. Because I'm I'm right. It's so good. God's will is pleasing it does not leave us unsatisfied on any level and and look at the last word that describes god's will it's perfect god's will 
is perfect. And there are times where we may not agree with it, where there are times where we might not enjoy it, or enjoy, but it's perfect. And where do we seek after God? Where do we chase after God? Where, if we desire for God to change us motivationally, do we go to find the heart of God? His word. Church, let's not lie to ourselves and say, you know, I really want God to change my life if we're not spending time daily in his word. Let us not think that we're going to be changed by God if we're neglecting his word. Dr. Michael L. Williams says this. He says, the Bible has the power to change lives because, because it is the living word of God. If we want God's help in changing our lives, we must ask him with faith for help and trust him for the results. In addition to this, we must actively seek to fill our hearts with God's word on a daily basis. When we do these things, God changes our heart. When our heart is changed, our life is changed. Church, this morning, I I submit to you that we need to be a church that desires change. It's kind of a faux pas in churches to talk about change. And we kind of laugh about it. And yeah, we're south, southern, but, well. but church, we've got to desire change. This past week, I was listening to a man on the radio. It was actually sports talk radio and he was being interviewed. And he actually quoted his pastor. I was fixing to say a pastor said this, but it's actually a quote from a guy who quoted his pastor. They were asking about the current situation with all the, the racial issues and the injustices that have taken place and the response to that. And, and, and he was asked, you know, how have you been handling this? How have you responded to this? And his, he, said, he said, my pastor always says, in whatever situation, ask, where is Christ? When we see where Christ is, then we follow his lead. And man, did that resonate with me. Not only was this a very secular sports talk radio, and here's a man proclaiming Christ, I loved that, but it just started thinking about when we talk about the idea of God changing us, where is Christ? And some of you might be thinking, okay, I get it, Justin, I'm ready to be changed, I want God to transform me, but where do we start? We'll find where is Christ, because he hit it a nail on the head. When we find where Christ is, and we trust him, we follow him, and he will lead us. He will lead us to the change that is needed in order for him to be shining brighter in and through our lives. When we follow Christ, when we let God lead and control and guide us through his word, through the time that we're spending with him in prayer, he'll change us. And we need to embrace that. It's going to look differently. It's going to be a little challenge. But when we follow Christ, change will happen. Our hearts will change, our mindset will change, our actions will change, how we view other people will change, how we view world events will change. When we look back and recognize what is known as right and what is right known as wrong will change. And church, every Sunday when we gather in this place, we will look differently because we are a group of people that God is constantly in motion, changing and transforming us into his image. And I believe, I believe because I want to, I believe because I have to believe that when a church is in a constant state of changing for the sake of looking more like Christ, the lost will come to know Jesus that God will use that church to reach a community with the gospel and more lives will change. Church, this morning I'm not proposing we need to start invoking a lot of change. I know we like our classrooms, we like our colors, we like our seats, we like our whatevers. But we need to be a church willing to adapt and embrace change for the sake of the gospel, not to please us, but to please the heart of the Father who created us in his image. So church, this morning I ask you this thing. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to change?
not because I'm asking you to, or not because of the world that we live in, or not because it, are you willing to change so that Jesus, so that Jesus will be made more known through your life today. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, God, forgive us when we have said with our lips that we desire Christ and we've said with our life that we don't want to change. God, those two things cannot exist because in acknowledging and pursuing Jesus, it will lead us to be transformed from the wretched sinner that we are into the righteous one in whom we follow. So God, may we recognize the desire you have for us to willingly lay our life down at your feet and ask you to change us, ask you to transform us, ask you to do a work in our church that will point others in our community, those who drive by the Beltline, those who we interact with on a regular basis to know the life that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. But God, I'm not asking you to change our church. I'm asking your church to come before you as individuals and say, Father, I desire you to change me. And God, there's, there's, no time, there's no time like today to let you do that. So Father God, we ask that we desire, that we lay our lives down before you, that we place ourselves on your altar and say, God, do whatever you need to do to make me more like you today. And we might have to confront some, some false truths that we've been hanging on to. We might have to admit we were wrong. God, please help us admit where we were wrong. We might have to go and desire forgiveness from a brother or sister in Christ or from someone who's not because of a mindset or an attitude or a word that we have shared that has been damaging. God, whatever it is, may we truly be your church that desires you to be Lord of all. And in doing so, God, will you change us today into who you want us to be so that tomorrow you can change us even more. Church, in a few minutes, our team's going to lead us in worship, and I invite you to respond to God. That might be right where you are in your pew. You might need to slip out. Our staff is going to be down front here on the sides. They would love to just walk with you in the back hallway and just pray with you, listen to you, counsel with you. Church, let's stop waiting. Let's stop waiting for God to do something on his own without us desiring it to happen. Church, let's chase after the Father today. And the tr process be changed in his image. If you're able, we invite you to stand as we respond.
is Jesus. And let us lay ourselves at his feet so he can transform us into his image. Thank you so much for being here today. A couple of quick announcements for you. Next Sunday is Father's Day. And uh, we, we, want, we want to remind you, particularly on Father's Day, uh, dress comfortable. Wear your Westmead t-shirt. Wear your blue jeans. Uh, man, you know what? If, if it's just hot outside and you want to wear shorts, it's okay too. But it's up to you. We trust you. Um, but just dress comfortable next week. Don't forget this coming Wednesday... We'll be live at 6.30, either online or here in person. We will send a link out uh, so you know what's going on. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about change. Y'all know, y'all know something that changes in us is at least once a year, there's something that is on the calendar that reminds you of the change you're undertaking. Y'all know what that is, right? It is a birthday. And... This morning, turning 31 years old is Miss Jenny Adams, and uh, I tell you what, that just amazing, amazing. So happy birthday, Miss Jenny. So thank you for being a living example of change today. It is good to see you. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's, let's, as we leave, be mindful of our distancing and have a wonderful rest of the day, church. Good to see you.